Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Ooh. 
make you hurt If I could start again A million miles away I would keep myself I would find a way It's an honor to be with you today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ryan and I'm the student pastors here. We have been in a series called Playlist where we've been looking at music. If I talked to you today, you would tell me about the music you love. It doesn't matter what genre of music you enjoy, the lyrics get to you. Every single one of us has a connection to lyrics we enjoy listening to. Some just listen for the music, but most listen for the lyrical content. Tonight we listen to a song, actually originally by Nine Inch Nails, but performed by Johnny Cash called Hurt. And I want to look into those lyrics and see what it says about us as people. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole, the old familiar sting try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. The author is talking about pain. He's talking about this emotional idea that we all run through pain. And yes, he's talking about drug use and pushing things down. And he's, it, it's a very dark song, but he's illuminating a thing that all humans deal with, and that's pain. And the question we have to ask ourselves today is, what will you do with your pain? It was 2017, in the beginning of the year. My wife and I were getting excited about the potential of what this year would be. And we went to the dentist, because you always go get your teeth cleaned in the beginning of the year. And we took our daughter and our son, and we went to the doctor. And they sat down with Rebecca and my daughter, Annabeth. And they said a little bit about my family. Both, both my kids are adopted, and so they, they grew up in homes of neglect and abuse. So there's a lot of trauma. And as we were sitting with the doctors, they said, she's going to need some cavity fills, which to all parents in the house that have kids that allow them to eat candy, they know exactly what this is like. But the doctor had brought up, not only does she need cavity fills, we're going to need to put her under so that she can have these cavity fills. What we don't want to do is reintroduce her to trauma that could have been in her past that we're unaware of. 
We don't want to go in there and start drilling, and then all of a sudden she freaks out, and then we can't do the actual procedure we want to do. So they scheduled a time later that month that we would come back and we would actually do this procedure. So it's the day of the procedure. No big deal. This is a normal thing. Something in my gut told me it wasn't going to just be no big deal. It was just not going to be a thing. So I kiss my wife and my daughter, and I head off to work, and I'm downtown, and I, there's this, just this feeling. You know what I'm talking about when you just know things aren't right. So I FaceTime my wife and my daughter, which I actually interrupt my daughter's all-important meeting with Netflix. You know how this is. And she goes, Dad, just get off the phone. It's no big deal. We're going to go do this thing. i got to watch my show. And so they get off the phone, but things aren't, aren't right with me. Forty-five minutes later, I get the call that no one wants. And this is the call that you dread, you dream about. Like when you wake up in the morning and you're sweating and you look over at your spouse and you say, I just had the worst dream ever. That's what this call was. And my wife called and she yells into the phone, get to the Methodist ICU right now, click. And I went, oh, like a car just hit me in the chest. And then now I got to go, what happened? My daughter's in ICU. Wait, ICU, cavity fill? So I rush to ICU and they rush her in and they put her, they hook her up to this machine that breathes for her. And all these things, all these emotions start feeling me. Anger starts welling up. This idea that why would God place us in this place with this little girl? Why couldn't it be me? What, what happened? Someone fill me in on the story. And here we are in the ICU waiting for her to see if she's going to live. See, this, this moment, all sorts of emotions. But I don't have to explain that to you because you understand what pain is. You don't have to know every single emotion I felt. The minute I tell you a story about my family, you immediately insert your family into that story, and you insert the pain that you've felt before, whether you're single today or you have a, a huge family. You know what it would feel like to be in that position, and all these emotions come up. Pain is universal. It's the only thing that equalizes us. The minute I tell a painful story, I could ask a question, how many people have experienced pain in their life? And almost every hand in the room would go up. Whether it's emotional or it's psychological or it's, or it's a mixture of both, it's mental or it's, it's a physical ailment, it doesn't matter what the pain is, we all go, yeah, I've been there. And if you wouldn't raise your hand, you haven't lived long enough. And that's the reality of it. We all experience pain. So when we look at this, we think, how, how do we deal with pain when it pops up? How do we walk through that? And so we look at the Bible, and, and as a church, that's our desire is always to go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this topic? So in the Old Testament, there's a book called Job. And I actually brought my kids toys just to illustrate this as well as I possibly could because toys always do that. So imagine with me today if Job's life is a bowl. There's nothing wrong with the bowl. It's, it's perfectly fine. There's no cracks. There's no blemishes. There's no nothing. This is Job's life. And according to the Bible, he lives in a place where he is the known person. He's, he's the Bill Gates of that area. Everyone knows his name. No one has to explain who he is. But let's explain it just for the 
for the sake of it. Job is the richest man in that area, and he has livestock, and he has all of these things that everyone would be envious of. Everyone in that area works for Job. He's the richest man, most powerful man. He has livestock like you wouldn't believe. He's built this fortune up. He's just known. God's given him children. He's given him 10 children, male and female. And then in that society, in that time frame, one male was a big deal. But seven males and and three daughters and, and this big heritage, he had everything you could possibly want. His life was the life everybody looked at and went, I want that life. And Satan didn't like this. So Satan went to God and he he said, Hey God, I see Job, and you call him blameless, and you call him all these great things, but the reality is, who wouldn't be happy with you if you gave them this life? No one's going to curse you if their life is this reality. So Satan goes, let me take stuff from him and see what Job does. And as a side note, first of all, I think it's amazing that the God that we serve is all-powerful and he has to give permission to Satan to do something like this. That's the God we serve. And so God does that. He says, no, I think, I think Job will hold on to his integrity through this trial. So says, go ahead. So let's look at a couple uh, instances where Job starts to lose things. The first scripture we see is all the oxen and donkeys he owned were stolen and the farmhands were killed. Goodbye. Gone. Next verse, almost as if we haven't even gotten over what he just lost. It says, fire fell and burned all his sheep and his shepherds. Goodbye. Now, it's funny because I'm trying to, like, get us past the point that he's losing everything. And it goes on. Right after that, the next news comes. All his camels were stolen and his servants were killed. Goodbye. That's everything that is his livelihood. He loses his job, his fortune, and his 401k is gone. Everything's gone. All the external things that he has built up as a man taking care of his family, it's gone. Then the last verse, it gets uber personal. His sons and daughters were killed when a house collapsed on them. Wind had hit this house, they're all eating, and they're gone. Just like that, his bowl is empty. His life is over. Looking in, nobody's pointing at Job at this point and saying, I can't wait to have that life. The reality is, he went from having everything to having nothing just like that. Now, why would God allow this? That's the question I'm asking. When I look at Scripture, I always come to it as an Irishman and a ginger, which was with just anger. Like, God, ah, why would you do this? But that's not Job's response. Job actually responds in in the most godly way you possibly could. It says, Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. What? How does, how does a man who loses everything, his first response is a bended knee and worship to the Father? Who is this guy? 
It says, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. This dude has serious issues in my mind. But when we look at this, we realize that he has, he, he understands something about the father that I don't understand as a pastor. Why would God take things away? I work with students all the time, and they come up to me and they say, why? Why did this happen, and why did that happen? And I look back into their face, and I say, I don't know, but I know God's doing something. And that response doesn't help them bend a knee and go, God, thank you so much for taking those things from me. Here's what I'm not doing. My goal tonight, today, is not to go This is the ideal. Whenever anything breaks in your life or gets ruined in your life or you lose someone, bend your knee right away and worship because that's the only response. No, that is not what I'm saying. Obviously, he understands something about his father that we have to understand before we can take a position like that. But I am saying, as a pastor, he understands how to walk through pain and we can learn something from him. I don't want you to feel guilty that this isn't your response, but I do want you to be challenged by the fact that he is teaching us something that we can learn. And the first idea that he's teaching is to grieve it. He rips his robe. He shaves his head. He grieves it. He's in this position where he's going, I don't understand God. I don't understand. Culturally, he's shaving his head, so anyone looking in on his life immediately goes, he's in grieving. He tore his robe to show. uh, It doesn't even matter. There's nothing here any longer. It's cultural. But it shows that he's in grieving. And the best response that we can have in, and not necessarily, the best response would be bended knee and worship, but if we can't get there, we can get to ripped robes and just going, ah, we can do that. And that's the proper response. Jesus actually shows us that same response in John eleven thirty five. He loses Lazarus, and in three words, he tells us the same thing. Then Jesus wept. He didn't go, uh, I, I know that I'm going to go actually raise this dude from the dead. I probably shouldn't have any emotions about it. No, his first response was, I lost my best friend. And he wept. He cried uncontrollably. This is the God of the universe, man on the earth walking as man, and his first response is grief. So our first response should be grief. When I lose something, I have to grieve it. In our culture, we tell people that's not okay. We say it's not okay to not be okay. And I'm telling you the opposite. It is okay to not be okay today. It is okay to be in pain and to actually mourn it. In our our world, it's you better post, just don't post anything on Facebook Wait till we're in good times. Then you post on Facebook because we want, we want to make sure everyone sees that everything's going well. We don't want anyone to know that things, no, we lost everything. Let's just not talk about that. Let's just sort of ignore that it happened. That's our society. 
And if stuff breaks, we just, let's throw it away and get a new one. So everyone thinks that everything's okay, but the reality is inside we're crumbling. Depression is at an all-time high because we haven't gone, I'm not okay. And the best thing you can do is do that. Take a pillow and punch it. Yell into the pillow. I've done that. It freaks my wife out. But it feels amazing. When I don't understand something, the worst thing I could do is act as if it's not there and scroll through Facebook or watch Netflix or somehow kind of numb the reality that I'm not okay. The best thing I could do is grieve it. See, we think Job's story is over. That's it. He's done. I don't want to be like him anymore. Let's cover that up. Reality is Satan goes back to God and asks God for permission to do worst to Job. He goes, yeah, well, he has integrity. You say he has integrity, but you haven't messed with his health. If you take his health away, he'll curse you. So he gives him permission. And he he goes over to him and he gives him boils. And that does this to him. Shatters his life. In fact, Scripture says his wife walks up to him in the midst of this and says, are you going to still be a man of integrity? You should give up on God and die. That's her response. And he sits there and he scrapes the boils from his skin with pottery. His life is in shambles. Everything is gone and this is what's left Praise the name of Jesus. That's his response. But it's nuts to me that he has to go through this. He doesn't give up on his integrity. The Bible says that he holds his integrity. But his life is shattered. You know what this feels like. You know when you got that news, hey, I'm leaving. You know when you got that letter from your boss that said, it's over. There's a good couple decades. Thanks for sacrificing your, your life here at work. Here's your letter. Go get a different job. You know the news when grandma and grandpa called and said, hey, we probably got a week left. And we look at it and we go, it's pain. So the response is to grieve it. Culturally, I don't want to invite you to my house if my, if, if my life looks like this. Oh, please, just, just mind the mess. Please don't, don't, don't look. But what I need is people. What I need is to recognize the brokenness that is my life and actually call it what it is. I've lost everything. There's nothing left. See, here's the reality. Life really actually does worse. It comes back and it, it does it again. It doesn't let, life doesn't let up. It doesn't go, hey, you've had enough. I guess you're done. Let me go to somebody else. No, it goes, oh, you thought you had enough. Let me give you some more. That's what life does. That story of my, my child in ICU, yeah, we got to go to the ER on Wednesday. I thought that story was old. We were done. We're past that. 
Now we got new medical stuff to deal with. Life doesn't give up on getting, getting worse. But how do we deal with it? So the reality is we have to grieve it, but then there's a second process that has to happen, and that's to repurpose it with the right people. I want to say this again. To repurpose it with the right people. Galatians 6 actually says it this way. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Paul, the writer of this book, is saying to the church of Galatia and to the church overall, when we want to obey Christ, we need to share each other's burdens. You're either in one of two spots today. You're either in pain or you're about to be in pain. If you're not in pain right now, there's somebody right beside you that is in pain. And the worst thing we could do to them is turn a blind eye and a back to their problem. And just go, everything's cool with me right now. I'm in a good season. I don't need to deal with that nonsense because I know mine's coming. Share each other's Burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ, sharing a burden looks like looking into it and going, that is a mess. Job's friends did this for him. Job 2, verse 12. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes, customary stuff. They threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. I walk over to my neighbor's house. Heard you were in the hospital. Hug. I don't, I know, I can throw scripture out. I can say some kind of platitudinal comp, just, just this blanket statement that tries to make everybody feel better. The better version would be to just go, hey, I know you're hurting. I'm with you. No more words. I'm with you. And no matter how long it takes, I'm with you. Drug addicted friend. We typically go, no, don't want to touch drugs. That's not coming in my house. Alcoholic. Don't want to mess with them because they got some serious, turn a blind eye, turn a blind eye. Not my problem, not my problem. And God goes, my problem. Is it your problem? Yes, it should be your problem. Everybody's pain in the room is the church's problem. So we sit with somebody for seven days and don't say a word because that's the best for them and not for us. It's the best for them. My friend, when we were in the ICU, he brought this giant elephant. It's basically like this big. He didn't know how to get it in. He just walked right into the ICU and found us. And he sat down. I remember that night because it was one of those nights where literally I was giving up on my faith. I was like, God, if you, if you kill her, I'm done. And he walked in with this stupidly large elephant, and I just laughed. Because I needed my friend in that moment. He didn't have to say anything. 
He just brought a giant elephant and it made me laugh. Not because it fixed my problem. Not because it changed the circumstance. But he brought it so I could go, wow, that's really funny. She's really going to like that when she wakes up and she's okay. See? It was his problem because he was my friend. He made it his problem by getting in his car and driving to where I was and saying, this is not okay, but here I am and I got you this thing. Sometimes. It'd be better if we just didn't say much. But we help somebody walk through their pain. There's this idea in Japan and it's called kintsugi. And kintsugi is a two-part word that means golden joinery. In kintsugi, the philosophy goes that nothing is discarded or, or to be thrown away or cast aside. The idea is that every single thing that is broken can be repaired in such a way that that repair is actually more valuable than the original item. And so what they do is if they break a bowl like this, they will spend time with the breaks. They will pick up each piece and learn where it goes. And I'm not talking about just the large pieces of pottery. They go to the smallest degree. And they sit there with it and they think about it. And they begin to put these pieces back together. And the bowl ends up looking like this. They inlay each crack with golden joinery as to not fake that there was a crack, but actually to illuminate the fact that there was a problem with the original bowl. And they will sit down, they will invite friends over to their home, and they will pull out pottery and pots and things that have been broken. They don't go to their best items they go to their broken items that they spent time with repurposing and they pull those out and they put them on a table and everybody at the table gets to hear the story of something that was redeemed and restored. They don't throw it away. What if we were a church and a people that lived kintsugi? Yes, this is a philosophy in Japan, but Jesus Christ did this on the cross. This is the gospel. Jesus died. It says he broke his body on our behalf. He died and he rose for us. He willingly sacrificed himself, putting him in a position of brokenness so that he could be fully restored to life so that we ourselves could walk this same journey. It's not kintsugi, it's the gospel. What if... You needed to be in a group so that you could talk about the crud going on in your life. I'm talking about a small group. What if you needed to sign up for Celebrate Recovery on Friday because you know you have an issue and you've been coping with this thing because you have an issue and you don't really want to work through the issue. You'd rather cope, but you know the coping has actually hurt you and it's now time to go, my bowl of life is jacked up and I need help. Maybe it's one-on-one -on -one counseling for you. 
Maybe it's a conversation with a pastor where you go, my life is a wreck and I don't know how to walk out the door today. I know where it goes. When I decide to actually grieve it and allow people to come around the table and not to to pick up the pieces and go, oh man, you really messed that one up. But man, that must have hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Can we put it together at the same time? You know this is going to take time. You know it's going to hurt. You know it's going to be a lot of work. But you know that it's going to be worth it. You know that this $5 bowl is going to become a $200 bowl when we're done with it. That's the story I want to tell. Some of you are in pain, and and I want to challenge you today. I want you to grieve it, and I want you to repurpose it. But before really even those things, I want you to hold on to hope that that's possible. I want you to hold on to the idea that God is, is working this redemption and restoration out before you even say, yes, sign me up for that. Revelation 21 actually says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. At the end of time, he, God, will wipe away your tears and your sorrow and everything you've had to go through. Until that point, hold on to the hope that is Jesus Christ. And then get around people that know what they're talking about and help you work through the scenario that is your life. I'm not ignorant enough to sit here and go, I'm the only one in pain today. I know there's other people in pain today. And I know there's two options with pain. Don't face it, face it. And that's, that, that's really the only two. And the hammer might come back out in your life, but it doesn't matter. As long as you're facing it and you're working through it, you're grieving it, you're repurposing it, and you're holding on to hope, at the end of time, everything's going to be wiped away. It's all going to be taken care of. What will you do with your pain? See, here's the, here's the thing. If you ignore your pain, unresolved pain is just us carrying a lot of these around. Did you know the saying, hurt people, hurt people? It's the truth of the matter. What hurt people do is they carry around their unresolved pain. They don't deal with it long enough that anyone that gets near them gets scraped because of the pain that is their life. Hurt people end up hurting people. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want the other thing, which is, I guess my life's done. That's it. No one can come over. Isolation for me. Depression for me. Loneliness for me. There's nothing else for me. No. What about uncovering it, grieving it, repurposing it, and ending up with a bowl just like that picture? What about your story being this story? Jesus, there, I was once broken. I walked into a room. This guy talked about broken pieces. I was there. I started to work through it. And now my life is a bowl that gets filled up to help other people. When I was in the ICU, we were six days into the ICU. And my wife says, why don't you go knock on the door next door? If we're in ICU, I bet you somebody else is in ICU. 
she's smarter than me, she's more wise than me, she loves Jesus way more than I do. I was like, no, I I'm have problems. And she looked at me and she goes, you have problems, so do they. Just go knock on the door and see what's up. So I walk over there, there's six days in, and I knock on the door, and I meet a mother, and his name, uh, the boy's name was Mason. And we get to start to share the pain of what's going on. We share our pain, they share their pain. Neither one of us solved our pain with that interaction. You know what we did? We said, that sucks. Can I pray with you? Can I hold on to hope for you? And we did. It doesn't matter. Sometimes God places us in an ICU room so we can turn around and go, hey, you're in one too. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm about you. I know, I know Jesus doesn't, he's not, he, he loves us. It doesn't feel like it, but he does. We can do this together. I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to choose to engage it or you're not. If you engage it, that's the option for you, for your life. And for the lives of the people around you because people want this story. They don't want it to be like this. So what will you do? Let's pray. I don't want to pass this moment up. I realize that I've talked about a heavy topic. I also realized that God allowed me to walk, is walk, allowing me to walk through my own pain so that I can say, me too. And I don't know where you are tonight, but I know this, that we're in this together. And as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I just want to take a moment and if you need prayer, I want you to simply just raise your hand up and put it back down. I want to know who I'm praying for. Who's in pain tonight that needs, needs to know a reminder all over the room? All over the room. God, we come to you. And we realize that you're good. You care about us deeply. And there are friends in this room right now that are struggling, God, to understand your plan. God, they're broken before you. There's pain in their life. They don't quite understand what you're doing. But today, together, we hold hands together and we just say together, God, that we're going to trust you today. We don't know how it's going to shake out. We don't know how it's going to work. But we trust that you're good and that you have a plan. We place our trust in that right now. May you wrap us up. May you hold us tight. May you bring the right people into our scenario to help us, to lift our burden together. And God, may we be a church that is known by the, by the love and by broken stories being made new in you, Jesus. Walk with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.